everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 36, What We Use, recorded January 22nd, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementsop.com. Today's show came to us from a listener, and we'll talk more about that a little later on, but we're going to talk about um, the software that we actually use every day, and maybe even a little hardware. And with me to talk about that sort of stuff is our full panel of hosts. We have with us Mr. Chris Neves, known as Slipped in the chat room. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone. And we have Mr. Aaron Butler, the former fat guy. Hey, Aaron. Hello, friends. And of course, it would not be a show without the gooey kid, Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the wonderful world of links. All righty, dighty do. Now that we got the introductions out of the way, which I frequently entirely fail to do. I was listening to an episode of The Periodic Table the other day, um, and I went the entire show without ever introducing anybody, even at the end. Uh, so <laughs> it's like, if you knew who was on the show, good. Otherwise, sorry, tough luck. Did you go back and stick it in the front and pretend like it was there the whole time? No, I'm far okay. too honest about that. <laughs> when I screw up, I leave it on display for all the world to see. Awesome. So, Today's topic comes to us from a uh, forum posting, which if I were a better host, I would already have had up in my browser. But since I wasn't, I'm going to vamp for just a second. There it is. His name is Martin. Martin Darkley is his username. And uh, I'll just read his post. He says, thanks for the great show, guys. I've been listening now for several months and really enjoy the informal and friendly style. It's refreshing to learn about briskets and education while picking up tips on Linux. Well, get ready for some bacon news tonight. (laughs) The mixture makes the show more human and real world than some others I've come across. Please keep it up. Thanks for the kind words there, Martin. Then he says, I am currently a Mac user, reformed Windows user, dipping my digital toe into the mysterious pool of Linux. So far, the water is cool and inviting. One thing that would be very useful is a guide to the best applications that would make up a system for an everyday user. This would encompass internet use, mail, contacts, calendar, photo management, video, audio, backups, off office duties, podcasting, a bit of gaming, and maybe some personal organizational stuff. If it, if it was based, say, on the current Ubuntu distro, and you told us which things you all used for your day-to-day tasks, I think it would help those of us new to Linux who are looking for comparative software to the iLife packages or Windows equivalents. I know that some of this stuff is pretty straightforward, i.e. Firefox, Chromium for the Internet, but would be great to know what these programs are like to live with rather than just a sample, and if possible, how they compare to their rivals both on Linux and the other OS platforms, both in usability and functionality. Thanks again for all your work. I look forward to the show coming out and seeing what conversations occur. So there you go. Quite well spoken. Yeah, and some kind words, too, so that was kind of nice. Yes. We, we Most of the time, when we get feedback at all, it's somebody complaining. The people who are happy don't say anything. We only hear from the complainers. Just from Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Real like table Jim. <laughs> yes. Um, Jim Beeson. Well, yeah. I mean, even his one complaint was phrased quite nicely. His it basically, was. why don't you put any Linux content in your Linux show? <laughs> <laughs> it was more of a jibe than a yeah, than but, a jib. but he said it nice. So, well, I've often often thought that that is what makes our show different from all the others. I mean, anybody can talk about Linux news. We all can read, go to Boing Boing, and see the sites. But what we offer is ourselves, our inimitable style. There's a there's a particular podcast that I won't give a shout out for because they don't pay me to. And 
they they're not friendly for work, and so I don't want you to go listen to their pouty mouths because they're so potty mouths. Not really. It's the Geek Show podcast. Um, anyway, on their intro, they do the broken news is what they call it usually. And they call it the bro- they, they say, now we're going to do the broken news. We call it the broken news because if you have the internet, you already know all of this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go through a bunch of geek news. So. And of course, at our period, periodic table show, that started out as a news talk show and ended up being just uh, a bunch of guys trying to make each other laugh. Uh, right. So it, it ended up being the weird news show. <laughs> yeah. we, we, still, we still do some serious stuff. We've talked about SOPA and other things and other, mostly other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mostly other things. We do cover some serious stuff just to keep a uh, few people interested. Yeah. Uh, I, I just interesting story. I played uh, one of our uh, podcasts. Actually, my sister in law and brother in law were over the other day, and and one of them asked about the whole podcasting thing because literally they had no idea what I do. They know that I go out into the garage once in a while <laughs> and that I built a quasi studio out here, but they have no idea what I do. I thought, well, you know, I post links to Facebook. Every time we do something, have you ever clicked a link? Oh, no, I, that, none of that means anything to me. What, a link doesn't mean anything to you? <laughs> a play button? Yes. <laughs> so I made them sit down right there, and I subjected them to an episode of the periodic table. And, oh, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> They've probably had all sorts of questions after that then. Well, and uh, it's interesting because they're, they're a very mismatched couple. Uh, my brother-in-law is very um, uh, very conservative, very um, uh hawkish very pro-war and his wife uh, my wife's sister is very liberal very liberal i mean like she makes barack obama look like newt gingrich um highly liberal uh and and uh when we got in the the episode i played for was the uh, marine desecration episode Uh, oh man (laughs) and she was just mortified by sean's comment and the meanwhile her husband was going yeah that's right yeah nuke them all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nuke and pave wow. we're, gonna, we're tying the shows together guys <laughs> tying the shows together <laughs> so anyway so, uh, the, the one thing I wanted to bring in terms of weird stuff you may have already seen um, this week is a movie called Star Wars Uncut have, have any of you guys ever heard of this before today no oh, you put before today at the end of it so I have to say no now yeah. if you okay. left that off I could have said yeah because yeah. I looked at it right before the show started well the idea <laughs> it's a hilarious and brilliant concept and they they uh, the makers of this movie said we're going to remake Star Wars in its entirety 15 seconds at a time so people were um, tasked with taking a 15 second clip of Star Wars and making it any way they wanted to and then they took all these clips together and put it together with original sound effects and dialogue and, and stuff from the movies. And I, I, it's two hours and three minutes long or something like that. And I watched about oh, 11 minutes of it or so. And I can't decide if it's cool or really sad or both. But uh, some of this, and, and there's, you know, obvi- they make no attempt to make it blend, blend together. So one 15-second clip will be paper mache characters. And the next 15-second clip will be kids in bathrobes and the next 15 second clip will be this awesome 3d animation that some guy put together in something like blender and then the next and legos thing, right and then legos and then it just goes and goes and goes um and what's hilarious is the the opening credits you know long ago in a galaxy far far away as that stroll scrolls across when it gets to the end there's like a, a bunch of youtube style comments on it so it's like you know wookie 31 first and the next one is lame <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
All right, I got something to watch now when I get bored. Yeah, yeah, and you have to be really bored to watch this, but it is the entire Star Wars movie, clip for clip for clip, in 15-second intervals. Um, and you got to give mad props to the guy who put all that stuff together, how mind-numbingly boring and, and just uh, suicide-inducing that must have been. To, to look at all these thousands and thousands and thousands of 15-second clips, pick the best or maybe the worst of each one, and put them together in something that sort of looks like a movie. So did well, they, they, got, they break got a them down? <laughs> yeah. Did they say, did they break the clips out into and you picked one, or did you just go through and take your 15 seconds and do it? I'm not sure. I think they listed all the 15-second clips. And uh, so you the, submitted clip number 40,319. Well, it says you, at the top, it says you claim one and refilm it however you like. Right. So, you know, apparently they must have listed them out there and people just selected them and then built it out. I, and I guess an attempt to prevent, you know, everybody wanting to do the scene where he says, right. who's scruffy looking, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, <laughs> the Han shot far, first episode. Everybody would want to do that one. Yeah. So. Well, the, It'd be interesting. Uh, but, um, I was gonna say you know it'd be really funny is if they did that with uh, spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> spaceballs was a classic movie. That might come out better than the original if you yeah. did that. I've got men out combing the desert all night. <laughs> yep. We ain't seen anyway. <laughs> One thing better than that's ice pirates. <laughs> I haven't oh, seen yeah. ice pirates. Oh, that's, oh that's the best movie. <laughs> I love it's, ice pirates. I've heard that it's it's really awesome in a really terrible way. This yes. is the way I've heard it described. Yeah, that's about right. High cheese, high greatness. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, it's aged cheese now, so I bet it would be doubly good. Yeah. See, I felt that way about, say, Napoleon Dynamite. It was so bad, it was good. Oh, I love Napoleon Dynamite. I hated that. I, I have yet to watch it all the way through. Oh, see, I've that's the it. thing, Chris. That's the thing. You have to watch it twice. <sighs> Twice. That's I the rule. Can't do it. I, I, I have I not told you my story it. about that. My a friend of mine let me borrow his, uh, made me actually borrow his uh, Napoleon Dynamite CV, uh, DVD, and he promised me. He said you have to watch this twice. I said really. He said yeah, you have to make, promise me. He made me say, I swear that I will watch this twice. So the first time I watched it, I barely made it through, and I literally threw the DVD across the room. I was like that was garbage. And then the next night, my conscience got to me. I promised. I swore I would watch it twice. The second time through, I laughed all the way through. So it's like once you're in on the jokes, it's funny. It's like um, um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That is a terrible movie the first time you watch it. The yeah. second time, it's funny. But it's even funnier when you're just everybody knows it and you're sitting around at Whataburger talking about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, and you start quoting it to each other. That's So you have to watch Napoleon Dynamite twice. Not necessarily in one sitting because I wouldn't do that to anybody. <laughs> but you have to watch it, and you have to watch it twice. Like, did y'all ever see Little Miss Sunshine? I didn't see that one. No, no. the movie is just awful until the like the very last scene. Then it is that makes it makes sitting through the movie awesome. So, uh, I promise you, Martin, we will get to your topic sometime within the next forty-five minutes. So just hang. Ready, with us. go. <laughs> <laughs> but the next thing I wanted to talk about is bacon. Everybody loves bacon, right? In fact, I, awesome. I decided today, I realized what the problem was with the Element OP forums and why there wasn't any development and, and there wasn't as much traffic in there as I'd like to be. There was no post about bacon. So ah. I went and created an entire bacon forum. 
So I encourage you to go put things in there about bacon, bacon goodness, bacon flowcharts, bacon. Uh, uh, did you ever see the bacon cake? That yes. somebody made a whole cake out of bacon. Yeah. Um, my wife actually made me for my birthday a, a bacon cake. It was the other way around. It was cake with strips of icing that looked like bacon. It was awesome. It was on a grill. <laughs> uh, but as well, I'm, Go ahead, Mark. As I'm sure I've mentioned on this show, because I've blathered about it on all the shows repeatedly, I made my own bacon. I did it. It's complete. It took almost three weeks and cost me 70 plus dollars. But I have bacon that I made. And so today, um, I put it on the smoker yesterday. I gave it about eight or nine hours of uh, good hickory smoke. Uh, and then brought it in and then wrapped it really tightly and put it in the fridge so it could firm up because it would be really hard to cut if it was floppy. Um, so I uh, today, right after church, I mean, it was literally like I went, I came home from church and changed my clothes and immediately went back to the kitchen. I was obsessed with this bacon. Got out my father-in-law's old deli slicer. Yes, I have a deli slicer. Why? Because I thought someday I might make bacon. Uh, but my father-in-law had this thing around maybe because he used to like bacon. I don't know. But it's never been used. It's been in my possession almost 14 years, and I've never used no more than that. No, we got yeah. Anyway, a long time, and I've never used it until today. So I fired this 1940s era little mini deli slicer up, and I sliced off some bacon about uh, a quarter inch thick, nice big thick chunks of bacon. Put it in the oven 425 <laughs> for about half an hour, and I took it out. I let it cool for just a little. That was the hardest part. Watching it cool, you know, that's, that's, it always is. that's a killer. So I picked one up and I ate it and I had immediate foodgasm right then and there. <laughs> it was just it was un- unbelievable. Did, so you did not fry it? No, I ba- I never fry bacon. I always bake okay. bacon. Okay. Fried bacon it's, is you never. You spell bacon a with a K then? <laughs> no. Are you saying I'm un-American because I, I don't fry it? No. Try it. Put it on a, on a, like a cooling no, rack. We, we do that too. We do that. Yeah. I'm just curious. It doesn't curl up. It doesn't burn in spots. It's perfect. So anyway, Mm. um, it was (laughs) unquestionably the best bacon I've ever had. I didn't know bacon could be meaty. I mean, honestly, like satisfyingly fill you up meaty. We've talked before about how there's no such thing as extra bacon. That's because the bacon you've ever had is crap, and you can eat 36 slices of it and don't feel full because it was all fat and, and nothing. I had like four pieces of this, and I was full. I didn't want to eat anymore. Then, then you need to come up here to Montana and have our bacon, because our bacon is as thick as my pinky. <laughs> well, I've had thick bacon, but even that was all fat. And no, this was this is good. solid red, almost no white. It's just oh yeah, and this uh, is that's what I'm I mean. about to have internet connection problems and uh, not going to be back. <laughs> 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 Gotta go eat. Oh, well, so I'm, go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. No, I was I was gonna I was gonna. Change the subject, so I don't want to do that if we're still talking about bacon. Well, Never <laughs> accuse me of changing the subject. Right. If bacon is the subject. <laughs> I just want to say that if you if you have the chance to make yourself bacon, I highly recommend it. It's really good. And I calculated the price actually at about four fifty a pound, which is less than I pay for the good stuff at the grocery store. Uh, it runs about five dollars a pound for the good stuff, uh, good ish. But this my my oldest daughter. "Quote unquote hates bacon." I know. I, I think she's the milkman's kid. Um, <laughs> but she ate a piece. I made her. I said, "I will not feed you again until you eat a piece of this bacon. You are going to eat <laughs> a piece of the bacon." And she loved it and asked for seconds. So even it even converted the non-bacon lover. 
That works. Yes, we're we're going to find a vegan and force it down their throat. <laughs> <laughs> if you That's think Seth you don't Anderson like bacon. at Element <laughs> <laughs> If you think you don't like bacon, it's because you've never had good bacon. All right, Aaron. Possibly. Change the subject. Well, this is this is totally off subject, even to the point that it's really. I hate to even do this, Mark, but I, I don't want to forget to do it at the end. Uh, almost a, an inside joke type thing. But you were talking about. I was. I mentioned earlier about talking about um, quoting, you know, Monty Python at Whataburger in the middle of the night. You may remember, Chris. I will just bring you in on this. We had this running joke back in college where we would replace any random word with the word clock. Clock. Yes. Um, because we had this long, you know, deep discussion like you do when you're in college at three o'clock in the morning at Whataburger eating French fries about how all words are arbitrary and, uh, you know, old lady could just as easy have been old clock. And then so everything became clock. It was our well, Smurf. Yeah, it really was. So, um, Seth, you were, you were involved in that too, right? You know all about the oh, clock yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I, I think I sent you a Facebook thing on this, Mark. Um, uh, anyway, Buckethead, who's a, a multi-instrumentalist musician guy, kind of an eclectic artist, but's played for all kinds of different bands and stuff. He released an album, a 20, his 28th studio album, entitled, ready for this? Clock. Spinal Clock. Spinal Clock. <laughs> Which showcases his banjo skills. <laughs> wow. And the, the dude's actually a pretty phenomenal musician. But anyway, when I saw Spinal Clock, I was like, did Russ... Put a bucket on his head and start recording, or co because he wears a bucket on his head. You don't know what his face is, you know. <laughs> well, you want to talk about you know banjo prowess? Um, Weird Al's band. I don't. I don't turn, want to talk about can banjo. turn anything into a polka. They're really amazing. <laughs> that uh, polka yeah. Guys that. yeah. Uh, All right, that was. I'm, I'm done hijacking the show for tonight. All right, Seth Khan Academy, go. Um, I just put it in here. I just wanted to kind of reach out to our community uh, and kind of support and promote the Khan Academy Torrent app that's out there has a way for us to, you know, it's a it's a great use of the app of torrents um, so you can push their videos for those people like me who have semi high speed connections and it would take forever to buffer. You can download and torrent and stream and seed their apps. And so. I was just going to push, you know, for our dozens and dozens of listeners to uh, install the Khan Academy on their torrents, and maybe we can help revolutionize education by getting good math. Uh, and, or they have a bunch of different subjects, but Lots math is the one I'm interested in, and they're really good. But getting uh, good – and sometimes, you know, you have a teacher that explains something one way and you don't quite get it, so go to Khan Academy to hear them explain it a different way. Uh, Khan Academy rules, and we should be supporting open and free – freedom of the net, especially, you know, just to kind of show them that – how wrong they were with the SOPA and PIPA stuff. Well. Um, just for those that may be listening that don't know what Khan Academy is, and you're, if you're not sitting at a computer and can't Google it, because I'd never heard of it, it is a non-for-profit educational organization created in 2006 by educator Salman Khan, not by Con- Conqueror Khan. Um, yeah, but it's the coolest the- name ever if you're a geek. Yeah. Because you would have said, Khan! Yeah. Okay. yeah, every time. That's I, I hear James I hear T. Him. Kirk. Khan. Thought you would do SOPA, didn't you? Anyway, with the stated mission of providing a high quality education to anyone, anywhere, the website supplies free online collection of more than 2,900 micro lectures. Uh, so anyway, it's uh, it's an online repository of teaching and training about all kinds and of really uh, high educational topics. Stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's classroom, you know, classroom level lectures on, and there's examples. Um, 
So anyway, and it's just, you know, you can go watch their YouTube channel if you have, like, super high speed. But if you have fringe high speed like me, you know, you got to let that torrent app collect its stuff for a while. And then you'll have it local. So let's uh, let's support them and see if we can't, you know, do a good thing. So what's the grade age for that? Is it all grades? It's mostly high school right now, but their plan is to go all the way K through uh, college. Yeah, it's subject matter specific. So, you know, most of the classes are high school and some of them would like be college level classes. Cool. I'm going to hand that around to the people in my school district. They'll really gobble that up. Yeah, like uh, they have a calculus class. Um, and I did I did I downloaded all of their math ones except for the differential equations because i cannot download the playlist uh every time i click on download playlists i can't get it but all of the other ones in their math i have downloaded and i seed and you know granted i can't do a lot of bandwidth at home but i put some of it on there and so you know i try to give back a little like that cool torrenting for the win yes all right and on to our uh in the news section, and you mentioned SOPA and PIPA, um, and we'll say that uh, those have been, for now, killed. Um, Lamar Smith uh, withdrew. He took PIPA off, uh, SOPA off the table and said it just it doesn't exist. However, there are still a lot of politicians in the pocket of the MPAA and the RIAA. It will be back in a different form. So uh, I would say they're not killed i would say they've been tabled and they'll be they'll in some way rear their ugly head again after the election i bet so and as yeah, as i've said before and i, I want to say again i am not pro piracy i'm not a pirate bay guy i don't believe that piracy is is morally right or ethically right and, and it's not something you should do so i'm okay with laws that are against it however it's already against the law we don't need more laws that aren't going to be uh, followed that's the whole hate crime thing. Right. Yeah. So it's more illegal for me to kill you than it is for me to kill somebody else. Right. Right. You know, yeah. I, I, uh, I, when I tried to explain SOPA to somebody who didn't understand it, I said, it's like giving a 12 year old a shotgun to get rid of a fly. You may or may not get rid of some flies, but the end result would not be worth it. So. Yeah. And, and the, the issue. Martin, I'm sorry, you're an English listener, and this is all uh, American stuff, but uh, uh, the issue here was is the direction that our country is going. We have recently suspended uh, the right of habeas corpus, which basically means that people can keep you in jail indefinitely without charging you forever, which is ridiculous. And now SOPA comes along, and the idea there is that we can shut down an entire site without any due process, without any charges being filed, just a simple form filled out online, and the whole site goes down. Then you have to appeal to it, and so it puts the burden of the proof on uh, on the convicted, on the accused. And that's not the way the American system has ever worked. It's not the way it's supposed to work. The burden of proof is on the accuser. Well, yep. and when I was, some of the people who were covering this uh, whenever it first started to blow up on the internet mentioned that, you know, a lot of countries look to see how America handles internet and they tend to kind of follow suit. So if it passed here, it would probably, you would see similar things pass in other countries as well. So. All right. I think we've pipped enough and we've been on our <laughs> soap box. Ooh. Long enough. 
But I, uh, <laughs> so the next one, this is kind of cool. This is uh, probably going to make some business people happy. The Linux Foundation release, release, releases an enterprise Linux user report. Talk to us a little bit, Seth. Um, well, and of course, the links for these will be uh, in our show notes. But 8 out of 10, and it's probably because it's not quite 80%, but they, uh, so anyway, about 80% of the people they polled and responded to the survey said that they have added Linux servers to their environment in the last 12 months and plan to add more in the next five years. Uh, and the thing that makes that number striking is less than 22% are planning to increase windows servers in that same five year period. Um, Technical issues cited by Linux users dropped from like 20% in 2010 to just over 12% today. Uh, And to kind of take away from the article, it kind of shows that Linux is being accepted in the enterprise, has a tool, has a serious option, and it's not just some experiment uh, anymore. So, you know, even though... You know, a lot of this is more server and back office type thing. Um, it's, um, you know, it's being treated seriously in enterprise situations now um, where it's before it was just like, oh, we have this old server. Let's play around with Linux. Uh, some places still do that. But now, you know, lots of lots of um, enterprises are using Linux for mission critical applications. I know one of the questions I am often asked when I want to roll out something new is who else is doing it? Because nobody wants to be the only one or nobody wants to be the first one. So right. this is good for if you're trying to get Linux into your workplace, you can take this to your boss and say, look, this is growing. This is big. We're not, um, but the pioneers who are going to take the arrows here, uh, the, the arrows have already been meted out. Yeah, and I think it's really cool because it wasn't a fluff piece saying Linux dominates the enterprise or anything like that, but it was a it seemed to be a realistic assertion that Linux is on the acceptance and it's on the rise and it's gaining ground and momentum in the marketplace. So, awesome. Any comment guys? It may have been a little more credible if it wasn't from the Linux Foundation. But other than that, <laughs> Well, not, I, that, not, that, yeah. not that that's not credible because it's from them. It would have been great if it had been a neutral source, I guess, right. to even more tout Linux's um, positive growth. Well, yeah, but that's what, you know, the Linux Foundation, part of their job is to, you know, okay, Seth, it's okay. raise the consciousness <laughs> of Linux users. So you're not going to find Microsoft saying, hey, Linux is up in the no, marketplace. No, you might find uh, uh, CNN or, you know, I don't know, some... CNN Tech News or something like that, some some uh, some more agnostic uh, site. Yeah, that's like Microsoft saying Microsoft is still the best operating system. Right. You, you always know. you so. always have to follow the money, and that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah. that's the nice thing where where the Linux Foundation, being nonprofit, comes in is they don't really have a whole lot to gain by by bumping up their numbers. It's not like they have stockholders they have to keep happy. Yeah. <laughs> and the next one is sort of a bizarre story that that I saw too. Um, is uh. Some apparently rogue Google worker has been vandalizing open source maps, the OpenStreetMap project. And I don't really understand what the point of that could be other than to say your maps aren't as good as ours. I don't really know. Yeah, well, I had never heard of OpenStreetMap before I stumbled across this article, so it was kind of interesting to me. But for those people who are unfamiliar with it, if you think what Wikipedia is to an encyclopedia – OpenStreetMap is to 
like mapping. And so um, apparently some high-ranking members of the OpenStreetMap project uh, claimed that user accounts attached to a range of Google Internet IP addresses um, have been maliciously tampering with its data. And of course, Google shot back and said that the two people behind the accounts were contractors using machines on Google's network. Uh, and then it kind of went back and forth from there. So Google is, uh, in one thing, Google apologized and said they're investigating, but in another one, they're kind of deflecting. And what was happening was like, they were like deleting uh, some data, changing the direction of street maps uh, or streets, like one saying the one. Streets, right. Yeah. So that way, you know, and of course, if you think about it, and of course, I'm not saying that it's a Google conspiracy, but, you know, if they, you go to if you go to company A and their stuff is wrong a few times, you're going to quit going there yeah. and you're going to start going to company B. And that's kind of open street maps claim. And of course, Google is saying, hey, this is a couple of people and, you know, they're not even they're no longer working on Google projects. So and then, you know, so it's kind of a back and forth. It's a. Part of this can be filed under the uh, any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, uh, that was kind of my first thought is how do we know that they didn't do this themselves? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe, they, maybe they were rerouting a bunch of roads that lead to giant billboards of Rick Astley. <laughs> <laughs> they were rickrolling people with, with maps. And the, what, what strikes me is, you know, again, like I said, follow the money. What does Google have to, to gain from this? They buy their maps. They don't own the maps. They license them from other people. I would think they would want OpenStreetMaps to get so good that they could use them. Well, no, right. they used to use OpenStreetMaps, but apparently about the middle of last year, they quit doing it. Uh, from their point of view, you know, who's going to go to Google Maps if OpenStreetMaps? So, you know, that would be, and again, if you're if you're thinking conspiracy theory, that would be the thing that Google would want to do is torpedo the other person's product. And again, I'm not saying they did, and it doesn't seem that that's what happened, but you know that's kind of the uh, conspiracy side of it. Well, it definitely makes it going to be interesting to see how it, how this plays out too, though. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, and then the next thing. Um, I saw this too, Seth, and I didn't put it in there because I just thought it was a little weird. But a lot of Linux distributions with presidential hopefuls. Not that I'm above weird. We do weird all the time. Yeah, but and is, I would. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I you know, it's just a, it's a kind of a fun newsy kind of link, um, and you can go to it if you want to. But it just kind of takes the different presidential candidates and says, if they were a Linux distribution, what distribution would they be? And if you're interested, the link is in the show notes. I didn't really want to go into it and name who's what. I just kind of thought, you know, let's have a little bit of fun with current events in Linux. So Yeah, so he says that um, um, Romney is a Debian and Ron Paul is G Nuisance. I don't even know what that is. Um, Gingrich um, would refuse to use Linux at all. <laughs> uh, Rick Perry would be a Slackware guy. I, you know, I don't really know what this is about, but it's mildly entertaining. Yeah, and that's you know that's just all I was going to talk about it as. So now, what may be of interest to the show is that Linux may actually be growing a little tiny bit. Yeah, percentile, uh, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, up to 1.41% uh, in uh, this month, uh, which of, you know, it's over a percent. And um, I, 
the guy who did this uh, blog, he was talking about how more and more percentage of the visitors to his website were Linux-based. And this wasn't counting Android and the Chrome OS, which are Linux-based. So, um, and then, of course, I went to, uh, like, Net Trends and looked at some of theirs, and I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, everybody hates Vista, and Vista has about 8% market share. I added up all the different Apple Mac OSs, and they only came up to, like, you know, less than 7%. Right. So, a crummy system that people are abandoning left and right from Microsoft still has more market share than all the Apple desktops combined. So, again, is Linux actually growing? I think it is, but you know, even if it doubles, it's still really small. So that's one Just, of the things we've talked about here before. I think if the Linux desktop use grew to the point where we were fifty, sixty percent of the market, the neckbeards would bolt and they'd all become BSD users or, or go invent something else. I think that most for the most part, Linux users like the fact that they're elite and, and that they work on the black box sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I would like to see maybe all the Linux combined for about 10%. You know, not quite double-digit, nine, somewhere around there, I think would be nice. Which would be roughly the same as Apple at that point. Yeah. And, you know, and that would leave Microsoft could still have their 60 or 70 or 80 or whatever. And uh, I just, you know, that would be that would be in my head. I would like to see that number. So, All right. Anything else? And the last bit of Linux news is... Uh, a a small, albeit, Linux security issue. Yeah, uh, you know, I just wanted to be fair because I, you know, I hate it when the Apple people say, you know, there's no viruses in Apple. And if you say, yes, there are, they go, no, that's not a virus. That's a Trojan. They get mad and split hairs. And so while Linux is more <laughs> secure, it is not bulletproof. And this was an issue with the Xorg. Uh, and it's kind of with GNOME or KDE or most other desktop environments. Apparently, um, if someone has physical access to the computer, they can bypass the screensaver lock you have. Um, and, you know, and like I say, it's, it's most distributions, uh, are affected and most different desktops as well. So now, this article uses the phrase, quote, a major vulnerability in Xorg. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time seeing this as major. That they can get past the screen lock, um, so somebody yeah, has to have physical access, right? They got to have physical access. It's got to be somebody that obviously you trust if they even got that far. Um, and and if you're depending on your screensaver lock to protect your data, uh, you've got bigger <laughs> issues. Yeah, well, no kidding. You know, you think about in a Windows kind of corporate setting. You tell you, t of course, nobody does, but you tell them if you walk away from your desk you should lock your computer. Right. Um, and so here's the point. If, if I do walk away from my desk and I've locked my computer, well, big deal. There's this exploit that someone can come along, unlock it, look at your stuff, and then lock it back. So again, it, it's not like, oh my gosh, everybody abandoned Linux, but just be aware and common sense things that are true regardless of the OS you run apply here as well. So, and again, I just kind of, wanted to be fair uh and not just report that linux is perfect and no flaws but you know it's an os it has its strengths and it has its weaknesses has its secure points and there are bugs and stuff found in it as well so and the moral of that story is when those updates come out run them yes so many yeah. people don't update and i understand the old if it ain't broke don't fix it thing but there are certain updates that you really need to do 
and you never know which ones they are. So I always uh, advise keeping regular backups and going uh, going ahead and doing the updates. Yeah, now we might not actually do that ourselves, but we I aren't recommend, recommend it. it. That's right. Well, by definition, if it's if they sent you an update, it is broken, so you should fix it. Right. Now that's not always true. Half the time they'll break yeah. it worse, but still. <laughs> yeah, I always at least read through the updates, and oftentimes they will be for things that are on my computer but not actively running. You know, and so I don't really care. Like I've got a an old CentOS box that does one thing, is not connected to the to the internet directly. Um, and it's running like version 4.2 and has never been updated and I don't intend to update it because it does what it does just fine. It's not, it's not something that users interact with. It doesn't even have a monitor connected to it. So, you know, you got to be judicious about that. But my, my personal laptop that I use every day, I do keep that updated. Yeah. I've got one job on this ship. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Galaxy quest. I love that. Great movie. Yeah. Maybe we should do a uh, a totally off topic show. You know, not that we've ever done that before. Uh, sometime know. and on and purpose. Just, yeah, do our favorite geek movies. I That'd think our awesome. audience would enjoy that. That'd be kind of fun. Okay, like, go ahead, Seth. I was going to say I could do that for the Super Bowl week, maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah, except I'm not going to be here during the Super Bowl. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm going to be doing? Back watching to cooking, it, cooking one more <laughs> time. Bacon. When I have my no, 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 almost. But see, the bacon, when I bought the pork belly, came with all the skin on it. So I had to cut that off. I'm going to take that and fry it up and make my own cracklings, my own mm. pork skins for the Super Bowl party. Ooh, now you're getting food geeky. Yeah, that's going to be <laughs> awesome. Or, so when are you going to start the, the food podcast, Mark? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm considering it, actually. I think that'd be interesting. I just need another nine hours in the day, and then I'll be yeah. ready to go. Oh, yeah. So now on to the actual topic at hand. What topic do you use? at hand. And and this is not going to be really in-depth. It's just going to be the stuff that we use and what we like about it and what we don't like about it. And so Chris, since Chris is sort of our resident expert in all things Linux, I'm going to turn this over to him. Oh, really? No, that's nice of you, Mark. Thanks. You didn't know that? That was your job title. No. That was in the contract. Oh, really? Oh, oh that, that was in the contract that I never signed and no. never was sent, right? The one that said <laughs> that you owe me $20 for every time you're on the show. Oh, 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 okay. Well then, I, I thought it's the other way around though. You're the 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 uh, place is supposed to pay the talent. Well, if well, it was Linux, if, were, if it was Microsoft, it would. But this is Linux, <laughs> so you have to pay to do it. <laughs> See, you oh. left yourself so open there. The 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 ga- the gouge that you left open is if you were talented, that would be true. But uh, yeah. oh, oh. No, I didn't go there. I didn't. All right, rage quit. <laughs> <laughs> Take this non-paying job and shut it. <laughs> And a non-receiving orifice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Chris, what do you use for email? Well, actually, um, before this year, I was using Evolution. Um, I have moved off of Evolution to just my G- the web client for Gmail, but um, I was using Evolution, and I love the program. It's um, And I use it still at work because it's the only thing that connects to Exchange servers in Linux. Um, but Evolution is the Microsoft Outlook counterpoint. Um, it handles contacts and calendaring, email, you name it. Evolution will handle it when it comes to personal management. Um, it works really great. It does have a few bugs when you're dealing with some of the more um, experimental plugins like the Evolution plugin or the Evolution plugin. The Exchange plugin. Yeah, the Exchange plugins. 
but if you're running on a standard, you know, IMAP or POP3 account, Evolution's a pretty good program. The other reason I liked Evolution over some of the other ones that we'll talk about is the way it handles digital signatures. Um, like when you do digital signatures in, say, Thunderbird or Kmail, it adds a bunch of crypto text to the top and bottom of your email message, which if you're sending the a message to somebody who doesn't know what that crypto text is, you get a lot of funny emails going, what was all that gibberish? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Begin evol- SHA1 hash. Yeah. Like, what does right. that mean? Yeah. Right. What evolution does is it adds a key file to every message. So then they get it, uh, instead of getting all that, you know, um, crypto text, all they get is an, an attachment that has um, your key, your your signed key basically in it. Kind of as a funny side note, um, those that know me well know that my brain doesn't always work the same way as everybody else's, not good or bad, making no claims or derogatory comments, but um, I can remember almost anywhere where I was running and listening to a podcast when I heard something on the podcast, I associate it with the place I'm at. I can tell you the corner I was on when y'all talked about evolution in one of the first episodes of everyday links before i was on the show <laughs> right. so this is right here i was going up this hill and we returned chris couldn't remember the name of it for a second and then mark supplied it and, then <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of, i was going to thank you for bringing that up here and i was going to mention that we've talked about all of these before none of this is going to be new stuff but we've never put it together in this package and we have listeners since then right so this may be something we redo every six to twelve months and just sort of recycle this and update it and say, you know, this, uh, I'm, I'm no longer using evolution. Now I'm using Bob's emailer because I like it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we'll go from there. But, uh, the next one on our list is Thunderbird. That was the one that I used to use when I was using a desktop client. I have stopped using a desktop client and today I use Gmail, uh, for, because it's just awesome in every way. But if I were to go back to using a desktop client, Thunderbird would be what I do. It's uh, the Mozilla people. Um, it's the mail, mail client that used to be a Netscape, if you were a Netscape mail user. Um, and that's the reason yep. I chose it, because I was a Netscape mail user for a long, long time. Even after Firefox came out, I was using Firefox as my browser and using Netscape mail for mail. And then Thunderbird broke off and became its own product. Uh, it has a Sunbird calendar component, um, or is it integrated now? I don't remember. Um, but it does, it, it doesn't sync directly with, um, exchange, but it's very Outlook Express like. If you're comfortable in Outlook and Outlook Express, uh, then, yep. then you'll be comfortable in Thunderbird. And some of the same, uh, scripts even work across them. So that's the one that I like. Yeah, Thunderbird's a good product. Um, I really like it as well, but there again, it, it didn't handle the, um, signing of email like I liked. Um, and, there was at the time when I was using evolution, I was actually emailing with a person that wouldn't accept anything unless it was digitally signed. So that's why I was stuck in evolution. Wow. Who's stuck that in evolution. Baby that's funny. In the background? What? Is, is that your cranky baby in the background, Chris? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I warned you. Somebody is not happy. Aaron, you were saying, no. I was just saying, making a comment, stuck in evolution and laughing oh, at that. Okay. Uh, and then the it was a great movie, by the way, Evolution. So, <laughs> and uh, the next one that you've got listed here, Chris, is one I have no experience with, and that's Kmail. Yep, Kmail is the email client that's bundled in with the KDE desktop. Um, I used this back when I was using KDE 3.5. Um, 
it works really well. It's similar to Evolution and similar to Outlook as far as functionality goes. The uh, uh, I'm trying to think of it doesn't sync really well with external calendaring programs like your Google Calendar or even some of the other ones. It's a local email personal information manager, and they have a bunch of add-ins to go with that. Um, but if you're in the KDE desktop, you're probably already using Kmail and don't even realize it because it's also called Contact. So, so it's the Outlook Express of Linux almost? I, I would say it's more like the Outlook version of, of uh, in, in Linux because it does handle the calendaring in, in contacts like, like Outlook does where Outlook Express kind of falls short. Okay. And then next uh, category on the list is media. Um, and I'm just going to run through these really quickly, and then we'll go back and, and hit them because we're, you know, we're running 45 minutes already. Um, we'll hit the highlights. Uh, VLC, the Swiss Army knife of awesome. media in Linux. Banshee, Be sure to keep it up to date, too, though. Yes. Uh, Banshee, the uh, um, iTunes-ish sort of uh, tool. Rhythmbox, another iTunes-ish sort of tool. Miro, which is good for uh, media playing and podcasting. Actually, all three of those are good for podcasting. And then Handbrake for converting, for ripping DVDs, things like that. So uh, those that's just the, the list up front. Uh, guys, I'll let you comment on whatever you want to say about whichever one of those. VLC is just a hoss. I mean, it'll just, you can just, like you said, Swiss Army Knife. It works great cross-platform. You just install it on your computer, and then you usually don't have to worry about launching and running and opening a file of any type the user interface is clearly designed by engineers yeah it's ugly it's spartan and (laughs) not very uh, intuitive and sometimes you've got to go through a couple of different windows to figure things out you have to click the save button to get to the options to be able to save the format you know things like that Um, but in terms of what it can do and how well it does it it is unmatched on any operating system yeah, it's one of the best. It's one of the best players uh, out there right now. Right. Yes. And then we've talked about. Uh, actually, we've talked about all of these in the past. Uh, Banshee, Rhythmbox, Miro. Uh, any any highlights you want to hit about those, uh, Chris? I know you're a Banshee lover, and I'm the Rhythmbox lover. Yeah, I'll pretend um, to be Banshee- Miro then. <laughs> well, I'm the Miro lover too. But oh, anyway, okay. Banshee's a really good program uh, when it comes to uh, managing your media. Oh, I think I'm being interrupted. Hold on a second. <laughs> you definitely are. Okay, Aura. Say hi to everybody. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, okay. child. Uh, Hello. Play with mama. All right, we're not even going to edit that out. That was too cute. <laughs> welcome, little Neves. Little Aura. Aura. Okay. <clears throat> like I was saying, Banshee works really well. Like, it's just, it's very similar to iTunes. Um, the main reason that I always end up going back to Banshee is the way it manages the my media and the fact that if you buy stuff like the through the Amazon link that they have in Banshee, it supports the Banshee product project and also they give a portion of that money to the Linux Foundation. Right. That's a good so thing. that's a it, it is a good thing. And the fact that you know they don't charge anything more for the things you buy through Amazon for the uh for the music so i really like banshee uh but i found another love too now that i'm out of the gnome interface which we'll talk about a little bit later okay um so 
rhythm box i like it because it is probably the most compatible in my experience with external devices um yeah. it handles the import and the export and the syncing better than other things that i've uh tried um and then Miro, uh, we've talked about, is uh, a good podcasting client, but also a media client. And then Amarok. Tell us yep. about that one. Amarok is, um, <laughs> Amarok is the KDE client for um, music that's very similar to Banshee and the Rhythmbox. The one thing that is very different about <laughs> Amarok compared to the rest of them is that Amarok uses a MySQL or a, a SQL-based um, database in order to keep track of everything. So you can run a lot more uh, custom queries against your media in case you wanted to know how many things you've played 17 times or how many different tracks you have that have three stars. Yeah, and if you're, you know, if you have bazillions of media, uh, then that would be an important thing to do because I assume that the others will crap out at some point where SQL is, is good for that. And it's really um, the the newer versions of Amarok is. I'm not a really big fan of their interface, but it's a fact that the tool itself is just so powerful. Um, they have this. I want to say it's a party like mode, where you just start, click one song, and it automatically fills a playlist as it goes. Yeah. And it'll 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 stay in the same genre or the same stars or the same. Um, Beats per minute. So if you're trying to build a workout CD, um, it'll actually keep the same beats per minute on every song that it plays. That's cool. Okay. And then next uh, on the list is browsers. And I think we're pretty much equally split between Firefox and Chrome slash Chromium, except for one weirdo who likes Reconk. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I'm... I'm I That's a Canadian national Firefox. browser, isn't it? Ha ha. <laughs> no, I use I use Firefox and in Recon. Those are the two I, I use. Um, Firefox, obviously, for the plugins, and then Recon when I just want nothing in the way. I just want a, a stripped down browser. Recon is what I use. And Recon is uh, it's not native to anything. It's one you got to go get, right? Yep. Yeah. It, it's 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 in the repositories. A lot of the KDE-based um, distributions will have Reconk built in and, and um, alongside Firefox. Uh, the main reason I don't use Chrome or Chromium is my home laptop doesn't use it or doesn't work well with it, so I have stayed away from it. Yeah, and um, in terms of functionality cross-platform, if you're using Firefox in on Mac, Martin, then you've used Firefox wherever it is. I mean, the, some of the fonts may render a little differently, and some JavaScript may look a little different, but it's like 99.9999% exactly the same experience across all environments. Yeah, and once you get your plugins installed uh, on the same on all your machines, you really, it really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, because like I use the XMarks plugin, has my uh, bookmarking tool. And so I have my home browser with me wherever I go. Right. And if you're really um, anal about it, you could always use Firefox Portable and just use that wherever you go. Well, um, since we're talking about browsers, Mark, uh, 
and this is an application that I know you use, Sean uses, I don't know if Chris and Seth use it. I just haven't jumped in there and done it yet, and that's LastPass. Yes, sir. Um, I'm a paid subscriber. Me too. So it just scares me. I don't know why it scares me. I'm, I'm, I'm usually very trusting of media. I'm really tru- you know, I'm usually the first guy to jump in and try that, but just the thought that they know my passwords and I don't know my passwords. They don't. They don't know your passwords. I know they don't know my passwords, but they're the only ones who have my password, even though they don't know it. They're the only one who has it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I can't go back and look through an email. I can't, you know, I just, I'm out of luck. If if I can't get the last pass, if it doesn't work, then I'm, I'm back to sending a request to get an email reset or whatever. Right. Now the real trick there is if you forget your last past password. Then you're in big trouble. I, I used to use KeyPass, which is a similar tool, but it's offline. It doesn't have an online component. And I forgot the password I'd set up for my KeyPass vault. Oh, no. And you just hose. There is nothing. There's nothing anybody can do. Nobody can help you. And it's the same way with LastPass. But um, I keep – there is a backup solution there. There, Your computer keeps a local copy um, yep. that, that it can be unscrambled locally. So as long as you know your password, even if they're offline or whatever, you can get to your own passwords. So right. it's it's not for the faint of heart, but as a last ditch effort, it's there. What's yeah, the cost on that? Uh, for the for the standard, it's free. Buck a month, month, right? But if you want the premium, and the premium gives you the mobile app, really, that's the only difference. And it's a yep. buck a month. For like this. All right. So if I don't if I, if I don't really have much on my Android phone that I need to password protect, um, then I'm No, 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 that's not, that's not the way to look at it. The way to look at it is, do I ever want to access any other website that I have a password on using my phone? Right, and that's what I mean. I don't access things on my phone that require passwords very often at all. Now, see, I use LastPass for everything, like uh, uh, my, my ATM PIN number. Uh, oh, I said it. Pin number. Oh, oh man, my Mark. ATM pin is an entry in my LastPass database. And you made homemade bacon at your house this weekend too, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and my um, my kid's social security number and my all that sort of stuff. I keep all of that in my LastPass database because you know for the same reason I want to I want to have secure access to it wherever I am. So that's all right. on my mobile phone. So yeah, gotcha. But if you don't want that. Don't. It's fine. But mainly, I got the mobile app just to support them. I, I think they do such a great job. Uh, 12 bucks a year was well worth it. Yeah. Well, I guess if I'm using it, then I wouldn't know my password most likely to the few things that I would normally just type my password in for. Right. I don't There's know chance. like any of my passwords. I just don't know them. I click right. the generate button and go. Yeah. When I was in college, I think of all the phone numbers I used to know. <laughs> and now oh, I can barely know mine. <laughs> I, I was the phone book for the, my first five or ten years out of college. People would call me and ask me other people's phone numbers, right. and I can still <laughs> tell you. I can still tell Mark's phone number in commerce right now. Uh, I but, have I have sort of a photographic memory, not entirely, but close to it. And one of my student jobs was uh, working for the uh, university auditor, uh, and we were doing an audit of everybody who had entered a contest on the. Uh, college radio station over the last few years and my job was to look them up by social security number and look at checks to disperse just to see if we, we could find any patterns or anything but i was just the data guy but i learned the name address phone number and social security number of like thousands of students doing that and i would meet somebody i had never met before they'd tell me their name and i would immediately know their phone number and social security number <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad my brain has finally purged that over the years but it was kind of scary the recall i had there to, for a while 
So yeah, I've, I'm I'm never that good. At, I, I'm, and yet you use LastPass. Yeah, <laughs> I use LastPass because I don't want to know my passwords, not I'm because kidding. I can't know them. In case yeah, you ever get caught by those guys that were after you for Sutherland. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just that uh, I like having really long, bizarre passwords. Uh, so okay, moving on. VoIP. Um, there's really only Skype. Let's just be honest. Uh, Google Voice is a, a distant second to Skype. Uh, but it's gaining ground because Skype is falling every day. Yeah, that's that's it. That's that's the only way that Google that Skype is going to to uh, that Google Voice is going to overtake Skype is if Skype falls and it and it is. But right and now, not if when. Yeah, Skype has the butter Kodak. It sounds good. It's what we're using here for this show. It looks good. Skype and it's available on all platforms. It's uh, largely the same experience. And and there's. Not really anything I had to do on Linux. I didn't have to go download any weird stuff. I just went to the repository and typed Skype, and it came up. Yeah. Mm. See, I personally like Google Voice over Skype for the easeability of just being able to use the thing, for, you know, anywhere that I am with without my laptop or with my laptop because of the Google Voice number. Um, I wish that Google would give us a way to say, yeah, you can have your general um, voice, you know, your Google Voice. But if you want to have the better quality or a better connection, you know, pay $3 a month because then I would be all over that. Right. Okay. So that's all there is to that. Now, office stuff. Um, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and speak for my co-hosts when I say LibreOffice is the one to use. Uh, OpenOffice is a close second, but LibreOffice is uh, jumping out um, in terms of, of functionality and and uh, development, K Office is is okay, not awesome, but okay. Um, and then should be okay Office, right? <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, and then Google Docs uh, is what I use. That's my tool of choice. I don't use a desktop client anymore. So now that yeah. I've said that, guys, I'll let you fill in. I've I've done the same thing pretty much too. I've moved to Google Docs cross platform. I mean, I actually have an install of Office on one of my laptops, and I very seldom even open it. Uh, I use Google Docs almost all the time because that way, if I want it, I got it wherever I'm at. Right. See, I'm the same way. I'm a Google Docs person unless, for some reason, I'm stuck offline. Then I have Abbey Word installed and LibreOffice. Um, the reason I choose Abbey Word, though, over LibreOffice is there's times that I don't need the overhead that Libra has with the Java client in the background running and abby is so fast yeah and just to uh that's a b i word uh martin since you you ask about this uh uh it um how can i describe it it is just a word presser word presser word <laughs> processor doesn't do anything else uh, yep. LibreOffice and OpenOffice are entire office suites. And unlike the way Microsoft does it, where you have PowerPoint and Excel and WordPress, uh, why do I keep saying WordPress and Excel, <laughs> um, each separate apps, they call it a suite, but it's really several different apps. In OpenOffice, it is one program, and you open different interfaces to the same program. And yep. so while that offers some really great tight integration, it does also make it a little heavy. So if you're working on, say, a netbook, it can really slow things down. And so if you want to run lean and fast on, a, on low resources, ABI word, Abby word is a way to go, but still my, my money's on Google docs. Yeah. Unless you are, you know, you do a lot of formatting and stuff in your document, then Google docs can be kind of cumbersome and a pain to use. Very good point. Yeah. If Problematic. You want, if you want to 
uh, you know, do a novel and you want a table of contents and all that sort of stuff, uh, Google Docs is not going to be the way to go. But if you're just writing a quick paper or sharing a quick document, uh, that's where I want to. But however, uh, LibreOffice and OpenOffice both uh, will do you know, almost everything that that Microsoft Office does. It doesn't do the super advanced features like auto-generating summaries and auto-generating table of contents and that sort of stuff. But in terms of you putting your thoughts in words on, I started to say paper, but on bits, uh, it can do pretty much anything you need to do. On and one, one thing, you know, if you're used to Microsoft Office, it uh, its auto-save and auto-recovery feature is really very good. Uh, OpenOffice, uh, LibreOffice, their auto-save feature is good, but auto-recovery is... Um, Hit or miss, a lot more misses than hits. That's so, another place that Google Docs really kicks butt, by the way. Just FYI, in case you didn't realize that. Yeah. The revision history it automatically keeps for you and being able to go back and see who changed it, if it's if it's a shared document or when you made a change to it. it that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. And it says yeah. it's not every keystroke, but it's darn close. It's like every eight or nine seconds. So you can see... Uh, what anybody's done. And, and that's great in the education environment because, uh, you know, I've had people say, what happens if Billy writes a paper and Tommy goes in there and is mad at Billy and he goes and trashes it? We go click revision history and you see that Billy did it and you see that Tommy trashed it and you print screenshots of both of them, send them to the principal. You give Billy an A, you expel Tommy, and that's the end of it. Yep. Okay, moving right along. Uh, photos. Um, I use Picasa. And uh, it's not available native in Linux, but it runs under Wine just fine. Uh, but native Linux apps are Shotwell and FSpot, that both of which I think come straight with um, um, Ubuntu, right? Aren't they both in there? I think Shotwell now is the default, and they've they've uh, moved Shot um, FSpot off. Okay, so you can get it in the repositories. Um, and, yes. And, um, these I don't know anything about, Chris. Digicam, Darkroom, and Darktable. Okay, Digicam is, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be. It's like one of the, is it Adobe? It's Lightroom. not Adobe Table. Yeah, it's like Light, oh no, that would be like the Dark Room and Dark Table. Um, that's what Lightroom is like, or what those two are. Um, dark Table and Dark Room are the equivalent to Light Table. Obviously not as big and powerful as Lightroom, but cut down versions. Digicam is more like... Uh, what is that? What do you, what do, you do with it? it? Maybe we can help you figure out what you're trying to say. Well, it indexes all your photos. It has editors. It has, it's like Photoshop with a manager built into it. That sounds like Picasso almost. But similar. the tools that, the yeah, very similar to that, but with the tools that Digicam gives you, it's even more than what Picasso gives you. So, like, if you need to go in and change the white balance of a photo and refocus it and you know, the, the, the tools that you would use in Photoshop that Picasso doesn't have. So it's like GIMP and Picasso. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Picasso. <laughs> it's a really powerful tool. It's really overpowered. Um, I've only probably used the top 20% of the tools that they have in it. Um, but, geez, it, it, it even has, like, auto-generating of uh, slideshow art. So if you wanted to upload a slideshow to your website... It'll automatically thumbnail and generate the HTML script to put it on the line. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's got a lot of tools. Um, and I, I bet you I could 
do just nothing but digicam for a whole weekend, and I still wouldn't be able to do everything in it. How's the interface? Is it slick and intuitive? And, and no, <laughs> of course not. It's Linux. Yeah, it's a exactly. VLC lunchtime project. <laughs> yeah, it's a VLC interface. It's very Spartan. Um, a lot of the tools are hidden in the deep menus, uh, but when you start digging through um, the the FAQ is pretty good. There's a user manual for it as well. When you start reading through the manuals, you actually figure out, oh, I can do that in this now. And it's just, it's one of those tools that if you have a weekend to dump, take a look at it. Okay. And that means if you don't have any kids or a wife. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then uh, we have one hardware pick from, uh, I'm going to guess that's Chris. Yep. Uh, talk to us about that, Chris. <laughs> this is my trusty... It's probably oh probably 15 years old CD burner. Um, it's the old Plex Rider, the 24 1040U. It's slow as molasses, but man, when this thing opens up and closes, you know you have opened a piece of hardware. It has the the full motor. Um, I wonder if you can pick it up, Mark, when I open this thing. Man, things used to, are made differently nowadays than they were. I found my old walkie-talkies that are probably from like 1974 in my mom's attic. They're like 12 inches long, hard plastic, snap covers, actual like uh, like um, duffel bag quality straps on the back of them, six-foot antennas. <clears throat> no, we didn't hear that, Chris. You didn't? I was talking. Okay. <laughs> it's You can tell that it's, it's well-built. Like I said, the thing's like 15 years old. If I know I want something burned to a CD that didn't, that's not going to air, I use that. It has never aired on wow. anything. Okay. All right. So, Martin, there's the, the answers to your questions, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, those are the tools that we use every week. And as I, I think you can get a sense of our personalities as we go through there. I'm all about online tools, and uh, Chris is all about obscure interfaces that don't work because <laughs> he is our command line godfather. And um, since we have invoked the name command line godfather, Chris, what is our command line tip of the week? Well, the command line tip of the week is called trace route. And I'm sure Love anybody that's been around, yeah, anybody that's been around has used trace route one way or another. Um, there, there are GUI interfaces to it, so you can find them. But uh, trace route will tell you the exact route of a packet, you know, from start to finish. And trace route gets the GUI kid stamp of approval. <laughs> I even like this one. So. Now, what's uh, important to know in Linux is it's actually trace route, not trace RT, like yep, it is right. in Windows. This is a great one when you have to yell at your, IP, your ISP. Right. The <laughs> no, it's is not dying, dying at my house. Your, it's going right. all the way to your router, and then it's dying. Right. Here's the IP address the packet is dying at. I'm pretty sure that's behind your firewall, is it not? Yeah. And then they say, uh, we have to ex uh, uh, up to load this to level two support. Yeah. Please hold. You, you, it's you know what the funny thing is, is like my local ISP, I don't even get tier one supported anymore. They automatically bump me the second I say <laughs> my name. My name is, and they go, oh, hold on, sir, and I get automatically bumped, I had which that, I think is hilarious. I had that luxury with a, a local provider. I knew the owner and the manager personally, and they knew I knew my stuff. And so they just had a red flag on me. It's like when Mark calls, this isn't a reboot the router problem. Just send them straight to, to the, the tech, and we'll yep. go from there. And so, which I think... I got it's, a hard line straight to the knock when I call. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I, and I, I've actually had that confirmed that my account does have a little red flag on it when I call for tech support. 
Well, ISP that we used in Texas, the the funny, the main tech guy there that I talked to quite a bit because the same kind of thing. He was so funny because every time you'd say, Jason, how's it going today? And he would say, moving at the speed of light. <laughs> <laughs> that was how fast he talked all the time. Don't be crazy. I, I once went into the ISP one day um, and the the little receptionist was you know, she didn't apparently know she was new um and so i said you know my name is mark cockroll and I'm, I'm having this issue and uh so then the owner comes out and says what's up mark I said i need a new router all right let me get you one <laughs> there's no argument there's no what your problem is like here let me have your old one i'll give you a new one life is fine that's so, always nice seth do we have a command line excuse me an end user tip this week Yes, we do, and it is all about going green in 2012. Good, because we're if, all about political correctness and saving the planet. Yes, yes. save the planet, you know, uh, so I our recycle. kids can destroy it or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, if you, um, like, where I live, my house is literally, we are the last house uh, from the electric company. So if there's a power outage anywhere along the way, it hits us. And... Um, one of the things that would be great for us would be to have a generator, and if you don't want a gas-powered one, you can get one that runs off of uh, solar power, and its build has silent portable power, humless.com. The link will be in our show notes, humless.com slash humless underscore generators. Uh, you can check it out. Um, it looks like you know it's probably more expensive than a gas power generator. Holy but crap, is it? My gosh. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, if you live somewhere, uh, you know, of course, you're going to save money because solar light is a lot cheaper than gasoline. So over the life of the unit, if you get a lot of use out of it, it may or may not equalize. But anyway, it's an option. You know, if you say green, people have this thing. They don't care how much green it costs them because it is green. Um, they are kind of pricey. Now, we'll just so you know, when you go in there and you say, holy crap, when you see the price like Mark did, then realize if you do want to do it solar, you also have to buy solar panels right, right. for another 700 bucks yeah, yeah. but you, you could buy the solar panels from other places i'm sure probably cheaper but you know these are special humless solar panels right that it, have, it's basically a big apc offer. is what it is it's a it's Gosh. a big um uh, ups so you it's got a battery in it in fact i built one of these at my school seth you've seen it yes um, I took a regular APC UPS, just a plain old like forty dollars at Radio Shack. Um, pulled the battery out and daisy chained six uh, deep cycle marine batteries to it, so it'll run whatever that thing would run. Now, the, the issue there is you know a total amount of drain, but in this case it ran our main rack of of switches and our uh, phone system. And because of those deep cycle marine batteries, it would run it. I, the, the longest I ever tested it was three and a half days. That it ran just fine. Holy crap! Yeah. So you don't need <laughs> you don't need to spend all this money. You just get something big enough to handle what you need. So that's it. It's how much output it can handle at any one mo point. How many amps or how many kilowatt hours? Uh, and then you just replace the batteries with something bigger. And it still trickle charges them just like anything else. I replace those batteries every couple of years. Um, so I spent. I think the batteries were 50 or 60 bucks each. I bought six of them. So for 300 dollars, I've got something that's running our knock for up to three days. Well, there's a new show going to be on TLC or one of those channels, Discovery, about uh, what survivalists, you know, and right. like the, the little trailer they're showing. I've got 4,000 cans of green bean, 14 generators, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And so it makes me want to go get a generator just to have one. Yeah. And actually, I, I used that one time when our power was out for a long time and it gave me enough juice 
Um, one that not the, I didn't steal the one from, the, from where I work, but no, I made one here at the house too. Um, and I hooked it up to my car battery and it gave me enough juice to run the heater. Um, just the fan. Cause it's a gas heater. It's not an electric heater, uh, during the total power outage. So that was nice. I, I lit it with a cigarette lighter. Um, and then it ran just fine. So off my car battery. Mm. Excellent. So, yeah, I am the tightwad tech, first and foremost. <laughs> That's Seth, definitely that true. Great, that was a great tip, Seth. We appreciate yeah. you finding that tip and sharing it with us. For all you Apple lovers out there who don't have enough money. And we know lots of you listen to our podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Martin, you're one of them, right? <laughs> um, okay, so if you want to uh, join, uh, contact us, feedback to us, so to speak. Leave us feedback. The way you could do that is elementopi.com. Just like Martin did, you might get an entire show dedicated directly to you simply by making a forum post. Or you can make a, a post in our new Bacon forum and, and, and share the awesomeness that is Bacon there. But you can do all of that at our website at elementopi.com. And when we say entire show, we mean the 10 minutes not devoted to the warm-up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. and, and the warm-down, right? Oh, well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Sorry. This is, we're at about roughly an hour and 15 minutes right now. And, uh, yeah, it was what, 30 minutes of content? Zork. <laughs> Zork. <laughs> so, anyway, elementop.com is the place where you make your vo- voice heard. You can also find us on Facebook and, and, uh, 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 Twitter, but honestly, the forum is the, the place to go. Or if you want to leave us a voicemail that we'll play on the show, you can do that at 559-IMOP, or again, just go to elementopi.com and right there on the page, uh, you can fill in your phone number in the continental U.S. and Canada only, sorry Martin, um, and Google will call you, and you don't have to do anything. So, that's it. Thanks for listening, and on behalf of all of my hosts here, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Lives.